Welcome to Experience This, the podcast that celebrates remarkable customer experiences and inspires you to stand out from the competition by wowing your customers. Each episode, we bring you a healthy dose of inspiring stories, funny interactions, and practical takeaways. Marketing and customer experience thought leader, Dan Gingis. Shares the mic with customer retention and employee experience expert, Joey Coleman, helping you to get people talking about your business. So get ready, because it's time to experience this. Get ready for another episode of the Experience This Show. Join us as we deal with unruly customers. Explore real-time data from your appliances and look at the fight against digital pollution. De-escalation, refrigeration, and communication. Oh, my. With a pandemic sweeping the globe and shifting the way organizations interact with their customers, many of the old ways of operating just don't work anymore. As we all navigate a COVID-19 world, it's time to redesign the experience. Sometimes it pays to have friends in high places. Well, I've always thought that, Dan, which is why I like being friends with you. But where is this particularly going and referencing out of curiosity? Well, I got my hot little hands on a secret memo. Oh, what? A, a secret memo. Oh. From a major hotel company. Dun, dun, and dun. being the upstanding podcast journalist that I am, I cannot reveal my sources. So let's just call him Peep Goat. <laughs> Did you say Peep Goat? Don't you mean... <laughs> nope, nope. I mean Peep Goat. Okay. Anyway, okay. this memo that Peep Goat shared with me is from two gentlemen, both with titles that include the word president, I might add. Ooh. And it's entitled A Message to the U.S. and Canada Franchise Community. Now, with your permission, Joey, I'd like to read some of the memo to our listeners. Well, I'm always a big fan of secret memos and a little bit of espionage, so I'm intrigued. Do continue, good sir. All right, so here we go. Remember, this is a major hotel chain. We all know this has been an incredibly difficult time in our industry. The global pandemic and societal issues have put pressure on you, associates, and guests in countless ways. We want to thank you for all you are doing every day to make guests feel welcome and associates feel appreciated. Putting people first and practicing inclusive hospitality has been the cornerstone of our culture and business for more than 90 years. Our reputation has always been rooted in a warm welcome, exceptional hospitality, and a comfortable stay. However, across many industries, including ours, what used to be simple conversations and attempts to resolve guest concerns have changed in tone and intensity and at times can escalate unnecessarily into larger-scale confrontations. These scenarios can ruin a guest experience, take a toll on associates, significantly damage brand reputation, and impact business. We are also mindful of public scrutiny of these customer interactions with associates grappling with making real-time decisions as unique and difficult situations unfold. 
we must continue to live up to our core values in responding to these situations. You know, I got to interject here and say, Dan, I'm reminded of a part of your book, your brand new book, actually, where you talked about the fact that we're living in an era now where anybody can pull out their phone and record what's happening, share that with social media, and we might get a brand experience exposed to the entire world that previously was only exposed to the lobby, and it might create a not fun circumstance. Exactly. Thank you for pointing that out because I was thinking the same thing. So the the memo continues. We are asking our hotels to think about how to de-escalate customer concerns when they become contentious. At times, when there is undesirable behavior that escalates to a genuine threat of harm to associates or guests, the hotel should engage local law enforcement to preserve safety. In many situations, however, de-escalation techniques may also be helpful in responding to an angry guest. Highlighted below are some key resources to help provide guidance on de-escalation and working with law enforcement. Now, the memo then included a number of steps, only one of which I'm going to read, which says, Continue to ensure that your property treats every guest with dignity and respect, even when it may be challenging. We understand that there will be tough situations that require a response, but please do not mirror the negative tone of a guest when conversations get difficult. Words and tone matter. Now, the memo finishes, As part of our long-standing culture, each of us must promote respect and convey a sense of feeling valued and appreciated in our actions, communications, and in how we support each other and guests. We want to welcome all with cultural competence and the spirit of hospitality. Every interaction, every conversation, every time. Thank you for all you are doing to make that happen every day. Wow, I got to say, Dan, number one, I liked the secret memo. Thanks for bringing it to us. Number two, I feel that the words and tone that matter, they did a pretty good job on the words and tone in this memo. I, I feel that it's addressing a really important issue and frankly, an issue that for whatever reason, and in fact, we could probably discuss there are dozens of reasons, has really escalated in the last 18 months. Well, yeah. And look, we're not going to beat around the bush here. I think this memo was created because of mask policies. And because I'd be willing to guess there's a high likelihood. Yeah. Okay. So I don't, I mean, it didn't say that. And it's interesting that it didn't. It didn't mention any specific issue that, that, customers might be or guests might be getting contentious over. But we've all read the news, seen the news, seen situations in restaurants and stores where people are getting angry at being told to be masked. And so I suspect that that is one of the key issues that's going on here. And, you know, it is disheartening, certainly after uh, such a long time of the world being just different and strange and confusing and scary that we also have to now be dealing with people who might be angry at things that are frankly out of our control, right? A a hotel's mask policy is likely guided by local or state or federal regulations, not by the hotel chain's policy. That's my guess. And so you end up having associates bearing the brunt of this that you know, does, I think, require some additional training like this memo is attempting to do. So the memo I thought was very well written, but in some ways it made me really sad that we have to be dealing with this. I agree, Dan, but here's the thing. And, you know, it's we we, we do our best on the experience of this show to uh, to also be inclusive and recognize all kinds of 
you know, opinions and perspectives and positions on things. Here's what I'll say about COVID and masking policies that I know to be true. You have some customers that desperately want to wear masks and they want you to require masks in your business. You have other customers that desperately don't want to wear masks and don't want you to require it in your business. In almost every business on the planet, you have customers that fall into both of those camps. So what are we supposed to do? What are we supposed to do when we're in an environment where, in many ways, unlike anything, at least in recent memory, there is such a divide within the customer base of every business? I mean, as somebody who, you know, I'll confess, I wear a mask because we have family members that are severely immunocompromised and we were paying attention to viruses and things long before COVID as it related to some of these family members. So we've only escalated our concern in this COVID era. When I walk into any business, because I know I'm going to wear a mask personally, whether it's required or not, I kind of breathe a little bit of a sigh of relief if they have a sign that's requiring it. It's one less thing that I have to worry about because everybody in the store is wearing one because it's required by the store. Now, I realize that that's easy for me because I'm on the side that wants to be wearing a mask in that scenario. But the reality is you've got customers on both sides of that equation. And I think every business needs to recognize that your customers at least a decent percentage of our customers have a different belief than you do. Well, yeah. And I think this breaks down into two issues. The the one specific that you're talking about, which I do think is going to outlast the pandemic, is this issue of safety. And customers want to feel safe, however you define safe. And, and safety means a lot of different things to a lot of people. And it's not just feeling safe from a virus. It might be feeling safe from violence. It might be feeling safe from falling objects or slippery floors. And it might be feeling safe from digital issues like data security and that sort of a thing. And I, or it I think might even that, be feeling safe from like dark aisles. They want well-lit corridors, you know, and things like that. I mean, yeah, or parking absolutely. lots. Yeah, parking lots. Yeah, it could be stuff that has nothing to do with anything other than, to your point, the actual feelings your customers have. Yeah, so I do think most companies are going to have to understand that if people don't feel safe doing business with you, you're, they're going to leave you, right? But the bigger picture here has to do with understanding the diverse perspectives of your customer base. In the United States, you have Republicans that are your customers, Democrats that are your customers, independents that are your customers. You have pro-life people, pro-choice people. You have people with of different religious backgrounds, of different ethnic backgrounds. And so this is not a new story in the sense that our customer base is diverse and we have to understand that people come at this from different perspectives and we need to respect really all of those perspectives. And so I think that this particular company is doing a good job in bringing it to light, asking their leadership to share it with their associates and to train them to be aware of de-escalation techniques and, frankly, to be aware of when it's time to call in the reinforcements because sometimes that is what has to happen. And, you know, I talked about that in my first book that even in social media, there's times where you got to call the cops 
And, you know, if you have a, we, I had a real life situation where we had a genuine fear of somebody hurting themselves and they were talking about it on social media to our channel and we sent the police to their home. And so we have to train our people to deal with all sorts of situations that come around. So I think the takeaway here is that while it's disappointing that there are some bad actors in our society that have forced major companies to have to issue an internal memo like this one, it's also critical that we all be prepared with mitigation and de-escalation techniques should they become necessary in our own business. We love telling stories and sharing key insights you can implement or avoid based on our experiences. Can you believe that this just happened? For several years, I've been getting a home energy report from my local electricity provider, ComEd. Now, it shows the usage during the month and how it compares to both the quote-unquote average neighbors and the quote-unquote efficient neighbors, giving me a grade of Great, good, or I like this one, using more than average. <laughs> what, a, what a subtle way to not say bad, but or, to or shame yeah. you. Right? Exactly. Now, you, you, this, you're more than average in a bad way. Indeed. So this home energy report goes on to detail how much electricity I use versus my efficient neighbors, the amount of money I'd save each year if I matched those neighbors, and even a year-over-year chart by month of my usage. And, you know, good news, I'm down 4% from last year. Now, I admit, I read that each month, and then I toss it into the recycling bin. But an email that I received from LG about my new refrigerator recently got me to stop and take notice. Wait a minute. You got an email from your refrigerator? Well, pretty much. It was from the manufacturer <laughs> of the refrigerator. But Does it was... your refrigerator have a name? Like, I'm totally intrigued by this. Yes, Louie. I, I don't know. The email basically did what the ComEd did. And it gave me statistics about my refrigeration usage. So I learned that my water filter and my air filter were still in good shape and did not need to be replaced. Nice, because it's a new refrigerator. I also learned that I used 825 ounces of water in the last month, which is the equivalent of saving 49 plastic bottles. And I learned that I, or my kids, opened the refrigerator an average of 13 times per day and the freezer an average of three times per day. And thankfully, neither of which, the report said, affected my appliance's ability to keep cool and keep my food fresh. Now, I have to say, I was fascinated by all of this data about my refrigerator. I couldn't agree more, Dan. You know, this is, I love this for a number of reasons. Number one, it's the internet of things, right? It's when everything is connected to the internet, when everything is reporting on data and how it can feed this data back to create usage patterns. Number two, it's giving you insight into something that I have to be willing. <laughs> Correct me if I'm wrong. You never knew before this email how many times your refrigerator got opened a day. No. Now, you've got two teenagers in the house. So without casting dispersions, my presumption was it was going to be fairly high given that you have, see earlier comment, two teenagers in the house. But when you got this data, did it make you think, because I know how you respond to gamification, so I'm not trying to lead the witness here. Did it make you think any differently about how you want to interact with your refrigerator going forward? Well, this was the first time I got the report. So I think for this time, I was just kind of digesting, no pun intended, but um, the, the information that it was giving me. And I, like, for example, I, 
I thought that 13 and 3 sounded low. I, I would have guessed I would open the refrigerator more than that during the day. Um, I thought the water thing was really interesting. It reminded me of, we've talked uh, on the podcast uh, a while back about imperfect produce and how much produce I'm saving from the landfills and how that tracker keeps moving up. And so I'll be very interested to see next month, did, did we drink more water or less water this month? So I'm not sure yet that I'm ready to change my behavior, but I really appreciated especially the updates on the things like the filter and the fact that, you know, hey, if you're opening your refrigerator 716 times during the day, don't expect it to be cold, you know? So I, I like how it connects it to the efficiency of the refrigerator, et cetera. So to me, it was just an impressive display of using data. We collect so much data, but using it to then return it back to the customer in a meaningful way. And that's what I loved seeing. And I frankly expect to see more of it in the future as more and more devices are connected to the internet and and we gather more data on it. I think this stuff's pretty interesting and I look forward to hearing more. Yeah, I definitely think we're going to see more about this in two ways. Number one, if you sell a product that has any piece of that product that requires maintenance, in the case of the refrigerator, the water filter and the air filter, what a huge service you are providing to the customer letting them know when the filter needs to be replaced. Because I don't know about you, Dan, but any appliances we have, I know when we get them set up, it says the filter should be, be replaced every six months. I have a tendency to replace the filter when I realize it's not working. Like I don't necessarily set a calendar reminder six months from now. Mm, I need to go replace it. Yeah, you know what I mean? So it's like, I, and, and maybe I'm the weird anomaly, but I think I'm probably like most customers in that regard. So I love the idea of a report there. But more importantly, I think we are on the cusp of every company having some level of reporting about their environmental impact and what they're doing to help minimize that impact. Now, I know there's some people listening to this that are like, uh, guys, enough with the green stuff. You've talked about Pila case in the past. You've talked about Lomi in the past. You've talked about these brands. I get it that you may not think that that applies to your business, but the reality is the leading companies on the planet are starting to report on their environmental impact. They're starting to recognize that customers want to hear about this and not just your tree-hugging Uber green customers. More and more customers are starting to do it because even if you, and I know you're somebody who pays attention to the environment, Dan, but let's pretend you weren't and you got that email from LG about your refrigerator. Are you going to wonder about your furnace? Are you going to wonder about your air conditioner? Are you going to wonder about your washer and dryer, your dishwasher? The they're setting a standard with the reporting about the refrigerator that the competition is going to have to figure out how to reply to this too, because this is going to become your new normal. Couldn't agree more. And I want to finish off by saying, B2B company listeners, this applies to you too. This is not just a consumer thing. Consider how much your companies, your clients are using the product or service that you provide. Maybe you're a SaaS company and they're using your software every day to do X, Y, or Z. Can we gather that data and put, package it up to them and give it back to them at the end of the month to show how much value they're getting from using our service, right? So any company that collects data can use it not just to do a better job of creating customer experiences and that sort of thing, but to actually push it back to the customer. I think creates a ton of value. And that's what I got from LG. And that's what I'm hoping listeners 
will think about for their business. We're excited to give you an overview of an important book you should know about, as well as share some of our favorite passages as part of our next book report. Today's book report comes to us courtesy of Ethan Butte, who is the chief evangelist at BombBomb, a video messaging company, and Stephen Passanelli, who is Ethan's colleague and the chief marketing officer of BombBomb. Now, their new book is called Human-Centered Communication, a business case against digital pollution. And it comes out today. That's right. We are breaking news here on Experience This. And as always, we're going to leave it to one of the authors to give you an overview of their brand new book. So here is Ethan with an overview of human-centered communication. Hi there. My name is Ethan Butte, co-author of Human-Centered Communication, a business case against digital pollution. My co-author on this book is Steve Passanelli, my longtime friend and team member, and my co-author on our previous book, Rehumanize Your Business, How Personal Videos Accelerate Sales and Improve Customer Experience. Now, here in this book, we go much wider than video emails and video messages, and we go much deeper into human connection. And to help, we enlisted nearly a dozen of our expert friends, including folks like customer service and customer experience expert Shep Hyken, Lauren Bailey, who is founder and president of both Factor 8 and Girls Club, Matthew Sweezy of Salesforce, Dan Tyre of HubSpot, and so many other top-shelf professionals. And our goal is to help you identify and overcome one of the biggest problems of our age, one of the biggest problems of our era, and that is digital pollution. We're all spending more time than ever in digital, virtual, and online spaces. And these environments are noisier and more polluted than ever. And it ranges from frustrating and confusing and annoying to truly costly and dangerous. This means that even when we're sincere and transparent and helpful, it becomes difficult to get the benefit of the doubt. It becomes difficult to even get our messages and experiences in front of people who want to receive them. So how do we break through, get attention, build trust, generate engagement, and build reputation, not just with people, but with the algorithms that increasingly control what people see online? The answer is human-centered communication, applying the principles of human-centered design to our daily digital communication. I know this book will be helpful for you, whether you're in sales, marketing, customer success, leadership, management. All of us need to reach people and build trust and build reputation for the long term in these spaces, and I know this book will help. Well, before we jump too far into the book, let me just say that Ethan is one of the nicest human beings that I know. He is such a great guy and the work they do at BombBomb is so great. You know, his their entire philosophy is about using video to enhance the customer experience. And I love this as a sequel or as a follow-up book because the problem with creating more communications is that we're contributing to digital pollution. You know, the more emails, the more videos, the more communications, at some point it just becomes more, more, more. And I love the fact that the guys put together this type of an overview where they're saying, let's think more consciously and more strategically about the types of communications and how we are using those to enhance the overall experience. Now, what I particularly love about this book is it, 
reinforces something that we've talked about a lot, but I think gets lost in the tech space. And that is that more isn't necessarily better. And the desire to over-index on automation and technology tools necessarily moves us away from the human touch. You know, I was in a conversation the other day with a business owner and we were talking about their new customer onboarding. And they said, well, we have a funnel. And I have to admit, Dan, I wanted to kind of throw up. And I was like, wait, a funnel to get the customer? He's like, no, once you become a customer, we put you into another funnel. And I was just like, you know what? Can we stop with the funnel conversation? Can we just stop with thinking, as soon as I have an email from you, and as soon as you've decided to become a customer, that means I need to send you a daily email sequence for the next 300 days where I'm trying to upsell you into the next thing and move into the next thing. It's not human-centered at all. And that's why I love the philosophy behind this new book. I don't know about you, Joey, but I am just constantly unsubscribing from lists. And I, I just, I can't believe the gall, frankly, of some companies that think I want to hear from them every day and think <laughs> that I want a different special every day or, you know, a different sale. And it really is unbelievable. And it's not human-centered. What caught me about the overview that Ethan just shared is actually something related to something that I wrote about in my book, which is that communication happens in so many different forms. We are always communicating with customers, whether we know it or not. We're, compete, we're communicating with signs in our buildings or in our physical locations. We're communicating with our website landing page. Communication is not just phone and email. And so it's really important that... I mean, we communicate with packaging. We communicate with, uh, with shipping notices, all sorts of things. And every piece of communication is an opportunity to create an experience. And most of them are just passed over or automated or done like everybody else does it. And they're experience opportunities that are completely missed. So as we like to do here on Experience This, we've asked the author to share his favorite passage from the book. So it's reading time. It's story time. Ethan is going to read and then Joey and I are going to share our favorite passages. So Ethan, take it away. When we treat people like numbers, we break the bonds of trust. When we worship activities over outcomes, we frustrate and devalue the very people with whom our success is built. When we renew our membership in the cult of scale, we miss opportunities to make meaningful connections. Bringing an industrial mindset to a human endeavor leads to the misuse of tools and mistreatment of people. Betraying our stated values is a betrayal of ourselves and of others. We will never be perfect, but we must do our best to reorient our businesses toward a healthier future. And we must take the opportunity right now to realign our practices with current trends. Many people suggest that attention is the currency of our economy, but it's not. Trust is. Attention is just one of its necessary precursors. When we pay attention, we actively and automatically judge sincerity, honesty, credibility, authority, trustworthiness, and many other characteristics of a person and situation. Trust is both grease and glue. Trust accelerates decisions, processes, and relationships. And trust makes good ideas, good people, and good outcomes stick. We must find ways to, to build and maintain trust in a polluted digital environment. 
Ooh, I love the opening of that passage. When we treat people like numbers, we break the bonds of trust. So true. You know, I think all too often when we talk about treating people like numbers, most business owners, most leaders, their initial reaction is, no, we don't. We, t- we treat them very personally. And I'm like, great. So what's one of the first things you do when you get a new customer? Well, we, we assign them a customer account number. And what's one of the first things you ask for when they contact you? The customer account number. number. So I'm just going to let that sink in for a bit, that you don't treat them like numbers, but one of the first things you do is give them a number or find a number to identify them. Now, I get the practical realities of needing to be able to identify individual customers at scale as you grow your business. And giving them a number is often an easier way to do that than making sure all the Tom Smiths are designated so that you don't talk to the wrong Tom Smith about their conversation. However, there's a difference between giving them a number and treating them like a number. And I think the opportunity that's available to all of us is to constantly be striving to bring our values to the conversation, to bring that human personality to the conversation, which is why the following passage really stood out for me as my favorite. And I quote, Just as clean air, water, and soil are necessary precursors to healthy people and human thriving, human-centered communication is a necessary precursor to healthy companies and business success. Human-centered communication allows other people to feel seen, heard, understood, and appreciated. All it requires of us is sincerity and intentions as we reach out in meaningful and service-oriented ways. It's better for prospects, customers, team leaders, leaders, managers, partners, suppliers, vendors, and all the other stakeholders our success depends on. Now, one of the great things I thought about this quote is it actually reminded me of the secret memo we referred to in the previous segment, where we were talking about that idea of really connecting with people and making them feel seen and heard and understood and appreciated. You know, I think so often businesses are caught up in how do we deliver? How do we efficiently and effectively maximize the interaction as opposed to how do we take a beat? to make sure that person feels heard? How do we take a beat to make sure that that person feels like an individual, not like the next number on our to-do list? You know, the other thing I liked about that passage there, Joey, was that it was inclusive of everyone in the ecosystem, all of the stakeholders, not just customers. There's so many other people that make our business work and how we communicate with them is just as important. So loved that. I want to share my favorite passage as well. Here we go. And I quote, Imagine the tech touch and the human touch on opposite ends of a continuum. On one end is a completely self-serve model composed solely of tech touches. On the other is a completely hands-on, white-glove service model built exclusively on the human touch. The vast middle is where most of us operate. We must figure out how to balance the tech touch and the human touch. How to balance the personalized with the truly personal. Volume and value. Efficiency and effectiveness. We must figure out how and when to let machines operate on their own, as well as how and when to have them complement our people to better provide the human touch. Now, I loved this passage for so many reasons, because look, there are places where a tech-only relationship 
is totally valid. People like self-serving. People want to uh, call an IVR and press one to get their balance and then hang up because that's just easy and, and they like that. That's fine. Obviously, there are others that really want that personal touch and want to talk with a human or engage with the human element of your business. I also love how he pointed out that machines can play a role in helping our humans be more human. And what I mean by that is that if we can equip our agents with all of the pieces of information they need, the answers to any question in the universe, then they can stop spending all of their time searching for answers and spend all of that saved time focused on what they do best, which is being human and talking with customers. And then our customer service interactions are all going to feel better. Absolutely. You know, Dan, something that I think would be a useful exercise for our listeners, imagine walking into a meeting in your organization where somebody says, we're going to spend X dollars on a new texting service or a new email service or a new way to automate communications with our customers. And imagine how easily that would be approved by your organization. Let's pretend it's $100,000, $500,000, a million dollars, whatever the number is that's appropriate for your size of organization. Now imagine walking into that same meeting with those same people and saying, I want to take that amount of money that we just spent on the automation program and I want to use it to create more human-centered interactions with our customers. I want to put that towards more time on the phone for our people, more freedom for them to dive deep into personal and emotional connections with the customers instead of how quickly can you get them off the phone. Here's the question. Would the leadership team sign off as quickly on that project, that second project, as they did on the first project? And if the answer to that question is no, you which are... Sli- which, which, which I think it probably <laughs> is. In most organizations you are in danger of over-indexing on the tech touch side of the spectrum and losing the connection to the human touch side. And I agree with Ethan and Stephen, we want to be in the middle. We want to give our customers the opportunities to move towards both sides of the spectrum as serves them, but we can't just go all in on one side or the other. We've got to provide both. So folks, go out and get yourself a copy of Human-Centered Communication, a business case against digital pollution by our friends Ethan Butte and Stephen Passanelli of BombBomb. And don't forget that we are giving away free copies of every book that we talk about on this season of Experiences. All you have to do is either leave us a review on iTunes or share our podcast on social media and tag one of us, hint, me. And oh, you can also will... tag me. I'm not that much of a Luddite, but on Twitter, don't tag me. Dan, tag Dan on Twitter, but if it's on LinkedIn or Facebook, okay, you can tag me. That's true. Fair. Fair enough. If it's on LinkedIn or Facebook, you can tag Joey too. Either way, tag us and we uh, will DM you and get your address and we would love to send you out some copies of the great books that we've talked about on this season of Experience This. Thanks for joining us for another episode of Experience This. You're the best listener ever. And since you listened to the whole show... Yay, you! We're curious. Was there a specific part of this episode that you enjoyed the most? If so, it would mean the world to us if you could share it with a coworker, a friend, or someone that just loves listening to podcasts. And while you're in the sharing mood... 
If you felt inclined to jump over to iTunes or wherever you find your podcasts and write us a review, we would so appreciate it. And when you do, don't forget to let us know as we might have a little surprise for you. Thanks again for your time and we'll see you next week for more Experience. Yes.